Welcome back to the Expository Word Podcast, where we are listening to classic messages from Kimber Kaufman. We are currently in a series from the book of 2 Samuel. We trust you will enjoy today's message as an encouragement to your faith. Let's listen now to Kimber. Chapter 16, the number one thing, this is all we studied this morning, is this. If you had to say, what is the purpose? It's to help us live by faith. Well, living by faith, this chapter instructs us on something. What is that? It instructs us, let's read this, a common way that God tests your faith and or brings discipline into your life is to have people fail you, deceive you, betray you, unfairly accuse you. Has anyone here had anyone fail them with to raise your hand? All right, so you're all identifying with the passage. Very good. In fact, notice Absalom, his own son, deceives him, betrays, and lies. Ahithophel was David's close friend. David writes this about Ahithophel. Even, let's read this. This is Psalm 141, verse 9. Even my close friend, whom I trusted, who shared my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. And also, we know that in Romans, according to, that's not it, that's not right yet. Hang on. Still having trouble with these overheads. A little bit. Okay. He also wrote this. Let's read it. If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were raising himself against me, I could hide from him. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I enjoyed sweet fellowship as we walked with the throng at the house of God. He used to eat regularly with Ahithophel. He used to worship regularly with Ahithophel. Then there's Shimei, who is cursing and throwing rocks. And then there's Mephibosheth. And we don't know the full story, but David at least thinks that he was betrayed. And what do we take from this? Well, you take this, friends, that these kinds of things are going to happen. It's going to be a common way to God in your life to have people betray you, deceive you, and hurt you. That's common. You need to remember that, that all things work together for good. That even Paul's thorn in the flesh very, very likely was not a physical problem, but was people in the church at Corinth that were insulting him and persecuting him and bringing difficulties into his life and making him weak. And Paul says, hey, God, that's where God wants me. That's where God wants me. And so we showed you many other verses. You can remember we read that and, and we read others, okay, that were of help. But please remember this. Paul also writes, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. We even despaired of life. But notice this. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. Can you imagine? That's how discouraged the apostle Paul was. But this happened that we, what? Let's read this together. Might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead and delivers. And so what does it mean to believe upon Christ? We all talk, people say, oh, isn't it so wonderful that God has graced us so we become one of his children? Yeah, he's also gracious so that you can suffer. Philippians 1.29. And Paul's longing is to know the fellowship of the sufferings of Christ. Well, please remember, friends, that the only way, the only way you will really know the fellowship of the sufferings is if it's unjust, unfair suffering. If you're going through suffering because you've got a bad attitude, that's different than what Christ went through. But when people are accusing you unfairly and doing things to you, uh, like betraying you like Absalom and cursing you like Shimei and exaggerating the truth like Shimei and doing those things, this is still under God's plan. Life isn't fair, just ask Jesus, but he's never going to waste your hurts. Okay, thanks for letting me go so fast through those. Now, I want to pick up tonight where I thought we were going to be this morning, 
And that is under point two, and that is this. Look in your Bibles to, again, 16, 10 through 12, and let's look what happens. In 16, 10 through 12, this man named Shimei is pelting David with curse words, with rocks, and David's got a group of his bodyguards around him and easily could have taken this guy out. But again, look, notice the words of David. The king said, What do you and I have in common, you sons of Zeruiah? If he is cursing, because the Lord said to him, Curse David, who can ask, Why do you do this? David then said to Abishai and all his officials, My son, who is of my own flesh, is trying to take my life. How much more this Benjamite? Leave him alone. Let him curse. For the Lord has told him to. And there we see this. What is it that Abishai wanted to do? He said, let me go over and take this dead dog's head off. But what does David say? No. And friends, what does the Bible teach us? The Bible teaches us things like this. Look it. Let's read this together. Romans 12, 19. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Can I remind you of something? This is Romans 12. This is not some battle between Israel and some other country. This is Paul's instruction to the church at Rome about how to get along with other believers and how to get along with unbelievers that don't like you. And in the matter of interpersonal relationships, we are not to take revenge. Somebody does you dirty, you return a curse with a what? A blessing. And we are to be that, that kind. Ketty writes this. Another lesson is that we are never required to exact vindication for all personal wrongs done us. Humble acceptance of these and a forgiving spirit towards the perpetrator is an option. A wife does not have to divorce an adulterous husband. Indeed, healing ought to be the first goal in all such problems. Grace, repentance, renewal, forgiveness, restoration, and healing must always be better than bald exaction of justice through the prosecution to the maximum extent of the law. We are so filled with our rights and our sense of justice we're so ready to draw our swords like Abishai and Peter when Jesus was arrested and exact our pound of flesh without mercy. But as David's humble spirit restrained Abishai and Jesus' perfect righteousness rebuked impetuous Peter, so we are called away from self-vindication to the humble exercise of grace-filled heart that looks to the Lord as the one who saves sinners without allowing His justice to be thwarted. If this chapter in David's life began with sour notes, it closes on a sweet one. He had learned afresh the penitent humility and found it to be the handmaid of rising hope in God as Heavenly Father, so it must be for all of God's children. We do not have to take vengeance. We don't have to try to get somebody back. You can, someone can curse you, someone can cheat you, someone can do you wrong, and you can return good for their, for what they've done. In fact, the conclusion of this Romans 12 says, be not overcome with evil but overcome evil with good. And this is what Jesus Christ calls us to in Matthew chapter 5. Let's read these together. Ready? You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. 
If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. For you are like our Heavenly Father when we are this way. Instead, can I tell you in my own life, in the life of Christians continually, if you talk to anybody that works on the mission field, here's Diane going to the mission field. One thing you're going to find out, Diane, is that those missionaries don't get along. A lot of them don't like each other. They're fighting, they're backbiting, they're talking. Someone tried to get the glory that someone else thinks they deserved. And all of this is going on. It happens in churches. It happens in Christian schools. It happens everywhere you go. There's this kinds of problem. And you know why? It's because we get our, our feelings offended first because we're really not sold out and living for the glory of God. And then secondly, when we do, we try to exact vindication. Can I tell you, friends, the call of God in our life is to be like David in this chapter. The call of God in our life is to be gracious and not just get tick for tech. You did this for me, so I did that for you. Well, why did you do this? Well, just the other day you did that. And I can tell you, my friends, that's the way the world should live. That is not the way Christians should live. Christians should be quick and generous. Now, I know there's all kinds of questions that you could ask me tonight about lawsuits and about all of these things, but I want you to remember this is the spirit of, of a gracious heart instead of bitter backtalk and grudge holding. And do you know who I am, David could have said? Or go get him, Abishai, bring me his head. We'll serve pears on the top of his head tonight for dinner or something. We could have done all of that, but look at friends. Even though he was having a terribly bad day, even though his son had turned against him, even though he thought 200 of his best men had turned against him, even though Ahithophel had turned against him, even though Mephibosheth had turned against him, even though he was running for his life and was wondering if he would ever be king again, David was still unbelievably kind-hearted. He talks to Ittai in chapter 15, and he says, you've only been with me a couple days, why don't you go back? He turns to Ziba, and, he, and he's very kind and gracious to Ziba, and even Shimei is cursing. And he's very much like Christ on the cross. And can I tell you, we can talk all we want about Christian service, but if you're doing Christian service and you're not treating the people right around you in a godly, kind-hearted fashion, then my friend, it's not Christian service. Do you understand that? We need to make sure that gets underscored and written. It's crucial and key to this whole thing. That's application number two. Let's go to application number three from this passage. This is the point that is, what is this all about? Helping you live by faith. Well, let's look. While keeping you in the trial, God also sends you the encouragement you need at just the right time. We're talking about the ways of God so that we can apply faith. And the thing that we need to understand is this, that God in his ways, just as he brings, just remember this, just a moment ago I showed you the one major point that we went over this morning again and again, and that is a common way that God tests your faith is to bring discipline in your life, is to have people fail you, deceive you, betray you. Just as he brings those people into your life, God also has a way of bringing people into your life to encourage you. Look back to chapter 15 and verse 21. Look what happens. Go back to 15 and verse 21. Ittai replied to the king, as surely as the Lord lives and as my Lord the king lives. See, Ittai was a converted to Judaism, by the way. He's a Philistine converted over. And look at this, as surely as the Lord lives, as my Lord the king lives, wherever my Lord the king may be, whether it means life or death, there will your servant be. This could be good marriage vows, weddings. You could take it and say, well, your marriage vows will come from the 15th chapter of 2 Samuel. You could. Where you go, I will go. That's what he says. I will serve you. That, do you th what do you think that did for David at that moment? Do you think David went, oh, Ittai, you're always complaining. 
He didn't say that. He was encouraged, so he sends him an Ittai. Look at this, 15.32. Go over to 15 look at verse 32. It says this, When David arrived at the summit where the people used to worship God, Hushai the archite was there to meet him, his robe torn and dust on his head. What did that show David? This guy was mourning. What was he mourning about? That David was being thrown out of the kingdom. Just to know, listen, sometimes, and by the way, I often have to do this as a pastor. You have to be with somebody. They're weeping, they're crying, they're heartbroken. You don't know what to say. Do you know what I've learned over the years? Sometimes you don't have to say anything. Just be there and cry with them. Now, that's not the ultimate answer, but right for that moment, that's a good one. And when he's in that kind of trouble, he was just there mourning. God sent him there. He gets to the top of the hill. David had just prayed, Lord, Lord, send some bad counsel to Ahithophel. The next verse says he meets this guy, Hushai the archite. And then look at 16.1. When David had gone a short distance more, there's this, there is Ziba. My friends, what a picture I think this is of the Christian life. Here you are going through life. You get the news, Absalom's after you. Uh-oh, we better go. And then there's the Ittites. And then there's the Zibas. And then all of a sudden there's the Shimites. And then there's the Mephibosheths. And our whole life are these kinds of things. But here it is, a sovereign God takes you through life, weaves you through so that you meet the people that you meet, you get to know the people that you know, and through that he forms you. Now there's one exhortation I would like to make from this. The church community ought to be the people that are under number three here, and not the people that are under point number one, where they're betraying you and deceiving you. The church community is there. The purpose of the church community is there so that you could be encouraged, so that you could be strengthened, rebuked when you need to be rebuked. But the point of being around Christian friends, the point of fellowship is to spur us on towards living for God. Look, look what Hebrews 3, 12 through 14 says. Let's read it together. This was written to a group of discouraged Christians. Let's read it. Ready? Here we go. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Freeze it. Freeze it right there. Look, see to it, brothers, that none of you has an unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Okay, okay, how are we going to do that? How are we going to see that in this congregation we don't have brothers and sisters' hearts turn away from God? All right, let's keep reading. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. Oh, my friends, the Christian community ought to be a place of encouragement. Not to be a group of flatterers, not to be a group of Joabs necessarily, not to be a group of yes people, but to be honest goodness Ittites. Let's be Ittites. I am with you. I know, I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. But you're committed to follow Christ. And I know you're carrying a tremendous burden. And I just want you to know where you go, I will go. I'm with you. I'm standing there with you. Friends, that's what you need to do. When you come to the end of your life, when you look back over what your life has counted for, the path, the wake that you've left behind, it's going to be the way you stood for people. The only two things last forever, the Word of God and people. How did you treat them? How did you handle them? Don't be the kind of people that are, that are the, the perceptions of the Mephibosheths or the, or, the, or, the, or the kind of people that are all the time wanting to be, be Absaloms on glory seekers. Let's don't be those kind. Let's don't be takers. Let's be givers. Let's be encouragers. Let's be the kind of people that, that push ahead. Which one are you, by the way? Are you an Absalom, an Ahithophel, a Shimei, 
Or are you an Ittai, a Hushai, or a Ziba? Now, if you just got in here tonight and didn't know the Bible, this would be very confusing, I realize. But stop and think, which one are you? And you know what we're going to be? We're going to be a flock of geese, remember? What does those geese say to each other? Right. Remember that. I, I joked about it in the, port, in the, in the past. We've got to keep goosing each other, meaning this, meaning this. We've got to keep saying, go on. Here's those geese flying, and they take turns taking the lead, and the one's honking, and he's saying, go on, fly on, keep going, break the wind for the rest of us. That's what they're saying. That is what they're saying. Go on. And you need to do that. You need to do that. By the way, let me tell you something. There are some people, there are some people that are self-deceived. They mean well, but they say this, I'm just not the sort that needs encouragement. But I want you to know, if you're not the sort that needs encouragement, then you're not human. Everybody needs encouragement. You may not know it. You may think that you're pretty independent and get along without encouragement. But my friends, God has made the Christian church so that backsliding can stop. You won't turn away from the living God when the church is encouraging each other. That is why. I even note, for instance, tonight I'll go home. This is typical for me. And I'll say, so-and-so, they weren't in church. Now now that I think about it, I haven't seen them in three weeks. And right now you know of people that you used to sit with church with and they're not here. Have you called them? Have you encouraged them? If they're going to another good Bible-teaching church, say, honk, 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 go on! All right? But... But if they're not going to church, if they're goofing around, if they're, ah, well, go after them, encourage them. Don't stop. Drive through the night if you have to to find them, but go out of your way to encourage. That's what we need to be here. That comes from this chapter. Are you ready? Here's point number four. The willingness to listen to one's critics, even those that seem to be ranting and raving lunatics or very bitter people who have most of it wrong may be a way of to discover the truth of God about your life. You see, what I've done in my past is I've gotten hate mail. And when I've read the hate mail, I've looked at it, and they've made some statements that are so outlandish that I think these people are so outlandish. Ha! God, judge them. Get them, God. That's what I do. Can I tell you, that's not the way to take hate mail. You know what we should do? I remember uh, Dr. Wearsby told us to do this. He said, take the mail, and if it's not signed, then don't read it. Because if someone doesn't have enough guts to sign it, then it's not worth listening to. But if it is signed, and it's a critical letter, he says, I often take them and I lay them before the Lord, and I literally lay out on my floor in my living room, and I say, God, here is the letter. It hurts me deeply, but there's some truth here for me. What do you have for me? And can I tell you, even in the worst critic, this Shimei that is cursing and ranting and raving, he did not get it right. He He exaggerated. He said David tried to get Saul out of the throne. David didn't do that. And yet even in that worst critic, we can learn something. Listen, rebuke enters more into a wise man than a hundred stripes does to a fool. And so there's a sense in which we need to be willing to listen, my son, listen to correction and instruction. And so, by the way, one more point on this. Do you know that now that I've been here 11 years, and some of you I've pastored for 11 years, and some of you have pastored for 8 years or 7 years, the other day we had a situation in the church where as soon as the service was over, uh, a, a lady came running up to me and, and really sort of got after me about something that happened in the service, in the, in the Sunday night service. And I said, okay, and I listened, and I thought what, the, what she said, I thought, well, you know, that's a pretty good point, actually. And, and, and she called the next day, and she says, oh, I feel so terrible. I was so out of line. I shouldn't have even said. And you know, what, you know what I had the wonderful privilege to tell her? 
I could, I'll probably, I, I could use her name, but I'm not going to. I said, you know what? You don't have to worry. I've known you for seven or eight years. And you know something? I know, I know you well enough that I understood what you meant. And you meant what was, you were concerned. You, it was a loving statement. It did not, it didn't even enter my heart that it came across harsh. It came across out of somebody that loves. Can I tell you, if you have an argument with somebody and you jump out of that relationship and never see them anymore, you're missing out on life. Can I tell you that all of a sudden you get mad at somebody and so you leave and you don't fellowship and talk to them anymore? That's the natural response. Satan works so that you are divided. The Holy Spirit works so that you're united. You study that in the Bible. That's always the case. Satan divides. Holy Spirit unites. And I tell you, there's somebody that has done you wrong. Don't be so bitter. Bitterness is a lack of faith. Don't be some hardcore person. Oh, I can't believe it. This. You take that lesson from God and say, God's trying to tell you something. Could it possibly be that you have a blind spot? Could it possibly be? I think so. And I know at the time, by the way, don't worry about your initial, your initial response should probably maybe be just get back off for, for a little bit. Because your initial response, if you're like me, is going to be in the flesh. So wait a day or two, but not too much longer than that. Okay. Number five, we won't take too much time here. Look, can you see this? If God is for us, who can be against us? What, this, is, this is taking us into the future, really. This is a future application point. You know what the, the writer's trying to get you to see? Ahithophel, the 200 men, Mephibosheth, Saul's influence, they're all against David. David's in big trouble. But who wins? If God is for you, who can be against you? I'm not going to spend any more time on that because we'll talk about that in the future. Here's the last one. This is really the important one. I've gotten phone calls, letters, and emails about this one this week. And that's why I saved it for last. It's because it will answer some of those questions. And that is this. We learn about how David's acceptance of the discipline wonderfully illustrates Hebrews 12, 5-11. I want you to turn there quickly as we close. Now, here's what I'm talking about. Here's what I'm talking about. Now, everybody look up here a second before we read. Turn to Hebrews 12 and then look up here a second. You see, I believe this. I believe this with all my heart. In 1 Samuel, you have the promise being made. Now watch this. In 1 Samuel, you have the promise being made by Samuel. David, you are going to be king. And through hell or high water, David believes that promise. He gets discouraged, but he believes that promise. Sometimes he almost says, oh, I'll never be king. Saul's going to kill me. I'll die. But basically, he handles with a submissive attitude all of the trials based on this promise, you'll be king. Now listen, now we're in a section where the whole section is ruled by this promise. You'll be disciplined. And some of you, and because I'm like you, we've blown it. We've done absolutely terrible things in our life. And you have written me, called me, asked me questions, and as a pastor, my heart goes out to pastorally answer this question for you. So listen carefully. The letters and calls and conversations have been over this discipline, which sort of looks at it only in the negative. It's like this. I blew it. Now for years I must suffer. And my answer to you is, no, 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 no. Look at David. Look at David. David understands he's under discipline, but he understands this. The discipline is from the hand of a loving God. It is not the discipline of some God that's going, all right, David, you did it with Bathsheba. You did it with Uriah. And I'm going to hound you the rest of your life. You're, you're, you're just going to, oh, I'm going to make life miserable for you. No, David, David writes several of the Psalms afterwards. And if you've blown it, 
I want you to know the way to take the discipline of the Lord is the way Hebrews says to take it. We'll read it and we'll be done. Look at chapter 12 and verse 5. It says this, You have forgotten. Go to verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted the point of shedding your blood. And you discouraged Hebrew Christians have forgotten that word of what? Encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't lose heart when He rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those He loves and He punishes everyone He accepts as a son. Look, my friends, quickly, the two attitudes. Some people make light of the Lord's discipline. Like a child that makes light of their parents' discipline and they, and they, they become more, go on in their foolishness. Or others lose heart. You know what some of you are doing? If you say this, I blew it, I blew it, I wasn't a good wife, I wasn't a good husband, I committed this terrible sin, and now the rest of my life, I mean, 13 years later, David is still suffering. Oh, what kind of future do I have to look forward to? Well, my friend, you need to think biblically, and that is don't make light of it. And secondly, look at, look at the last part of verse 5. Don't lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those He loves. The very discipline, the very problems that God brings into your life is because He loves you. And He punishes everyone He accepts as a son. Therefore, look at verse 7. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it, how much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers, our human fathers, disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been Trained by it. Trained by it. Has your sin got you in some difficult situation? The question to ask is this. Am I making light of it? No. Okay, I'm not doing that. Am I losing heart? No. I'm not going to do that. Are you being trained by it? Are you allowing the difficult situation God has got you in right now to train you so you can become holy? Well, we're going to keep talking this way because this is the bottom line of Christian living. It's that God cares about His people. His discipline is not there just to pound you over the head. It's for your good. Let's pray. Father, just the very word Father makes us lift our hands to praise You and to thank You that You are so good. Even Your discipline is good. Father, we would say this to You tonight. We will take Your discipline any day versus life without Your mercy. And so we thank you for your goodness and we praise your name. Help us to make progress in our Christianity. Help us to have opportunities to witness this week. Keep us from temptation. In Jesus' name, amen. That concludes today's message from the Expository Word. Please join us again for more classic messages from Kimber Kaufman. Take care.